0: the Drabblecast episode 427 the Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself I'm your host Norm Sherman bringing you folks something we haven't done in a while here on the podcast a Drabblecast doubleheader special in these specials we hone in on one particular author that we dig and we bring you two contrasting or related or contrasting and related weird ass short stories by them this week we're bringing you a guy that definitely gets the kind of fiction that we like here at the old D-Cast. Matthew Sanborn Smith. Matthew lives in Florida, which is definitely one of those states that seems to be a nexus of all things weird. His fictions appeared at Tor.com, Illiterate, Diabolical Plots, Gud Magazine, Kaleidotrope, and See the Elephant, among others. You can occasionally hear him on the podcast Starship Sofa, and you can always hear him at his own podcast, Beware the Hairy Mango, which has evolved into Beware the Pig. Pat- patronizing Mango. Matthew's the first author that I can recall who's ever sold three entire stories to us in one simultaneous submission, and then we asked him if he had any more, and wound up buying one more. That's how much we love this guy, and we think you'll like his stuff too. It tends to be crazy strange, but somehow crazy relatable, very human, very real, underneath the veneer of absolute absurdity. As usual on double-header specials, after the story you'll hear a bit from Matthew himself in a recorded author's note, giving you a little insight and background about what he was thinking as he put the story to page. Hope you enjoy. Our stories this week were produced by Adam Pratt and narrated by Iba Armankus and Adam's wife, Amber Pratt. So without further ado, we bring you Life and Times and Sometimes I'm a Chair by Matthew Sanborn-Smith.
1: Life and Times by Matthew Sanborn-Smith Read by Ivar Amonkis The enormous water clock thing made her want to pee. Hella squeezed a little tighter, shifted her feet. Do we have a deal? she asked. Her face felt hot. Her body quaked with the thump of her heart. She was under the control of these monsters. Always had been. She didn't have time for this. No, said the clock face thing. Why should you get any more time than anyone else?" The clockface thing had a long, craggy beak. Its hands were cast-iron arrows, like old-fashioned clock hands, which pointed in arbitrary directions, showing the time in spatial dimensions beyond anything Hella had known. It wore a wide, red-and-gold robe which thankfully hid its inhuman body from her, a body with two 90-degree bends in it, so that its upper half was three feet to the right of its lower half. "I'm not getting any more time," Hella said. She'd turned to the right to face it. They'd encircled her. There was no escape until they decided to let her go. She'd removed her pain-making work shoes for some sense of relief. Some little control over her own life. And when did this become about deserving anything? I'm proposing a fair trade. Give me access to the end of all things. You'll get longer lives because my existence there will create more time. But you'll age the same as always, said the digital thing. Hella turned to the right. The red glowing body shifted in a blur as it changed with each trillionth of a second. Hella could feel things from the time gods. This one didn't cycle around every hour or twelve or twenty-four. It had started counting picoseconds from the beginning of time and had never worn the same body of complex and incomprehensible digits twice. "'I'm not trying to lengthen my life,' she said, a little too loudly. "'I'm trying to condense it. "'Look, you don't understand human civilization.' For Christ's sakes, these were forces of nature. Why were they so thick? She had to make them understand. Her proposal was due on Todd's desk in less than an hour and a half. She'd made a mistake coming here, but they wouldn't let her go. They might not ever let her go. We have, we have to, to disagree. disagree, the calendar thing said. She turned to the right. It was wide and sickening to look at, showing all things at once. Hella looked slightly above it when she gave it her attention to save her head and stomach the discomfort. But that didn't help when it spoke to her with infinite voices. Her dress suit suddenly felt too tight. It was too hot in here, and she still needed to pee. We are the creators of the human psyche, it said. Without the measure of time, there would be no planting. There would be no harvest. We are the mothers of human civilization. I'm not talking about ancient history, Hella said. I'm talking about getting things done. "'You're why we race to keep up. "'You're why our sleep is so restless. "'There aren't enough hours in the day.' "'The calendar thing made a noise "'that suggested she was stating the obvious. "'She turned to the right before the hourglass thing "'even had begun to speak. "'This one she feared most of all, "'because its time was nearly up. "'No matter how long she looked at it, "'it was always about to run out of sand. "'Surely those were its last grains. "'No, but those were. "'They had to be. "'Now?' You're the ones that gave it 24, said the hourglass thing. Give yourself 25 hours, or 25,000. Fuck all your semantics, Hella said. She was getting sick of them all. I've got work due to my boss at 12. Now unless you can slow down time, which you can't, she held up her hand to clock face thing. Shut up, I already know you can't. The only alternative is to let me sneak in and out of the time stream and get some work done at the end of time. I'm not asking for more hours. I'm finding a way to put more time in each hour. Nobody's breaking any rules. What's the problem here? You'll appear to age faster than your fellow travelers. Click the metronome thing to her right. You'll seem to die before your time. What the hell do you care if I do? Your time, damn it! The most cruel and unforgiving thing in existence. We're not your enemy. Poured the water clock thing. You are my enemy. You're everybody's fucking enemy. Do any of you have any idea what it's like to be constantly bound, with your boss riding your ass? To have to work through every lunch and have to stay late, only you can't stay late because you've got a mother who's about two steps away from hospice and you've got laundry to do? I have no idea if I want to have kids, but you are pushing me into making that decision with every goddamn tick of your ugly, beaky faces. And when do I have time to get to know anyone who wants to do anything more than fuck me? When the hell do I get to live a real life? You're killing me, you're all killing me. Hella's phone fell to the floor. She looked down at it, not caring if she ever picked it up again. She felt herself enveloped in the folds of a great robe of red and gold. The sharp, hard arms that held her were warm and right. They were the same arms that had held her always, day and night, since before she could remember. Her heart beat faster, but she wasn't frightened anymore. It beat faster still, hummingbird fast, fast as the changing forms of the digital thing she felt the years passing in minutes felt her loosening face watched her aging hands until her vision grew too cloudy to see any longer she couldn't hold her back straight she leaned into the clock face thing her strength ebbing fast but it held her held her as it had always held her what matters now child it asked her her breath came hard and wheezing Her mother was long dead, Todd, and the job which had held so much control over her just minutes before, just decades before, wasn't even worthy of her memory, much less her emotions. Raj mattered. Her husband of so many years. The nieces and nephews of their families, the friends that came and went, the people who did the right things when they didn't have to, they all mattered. Are you ready to go now? It asked. Hell no, I'm not. You're not going to give me any choice, though, are you? If I had a choice, I'd give it to you. But if it's any consolation, we've given you nothing but choices for your whole long life. Helen nodded. You'll hold me then, until I go? I'll hold you until the end of all things.
2: Yo, no drabs! This one just started with the idea of the body weirdness of the clock face thing, but it needed to go somewhere, so I had to make some other weird bodies, and decided to stick with the timekeepers as the theme, rather than, say, industrial machines or beings representing different dimensions. So if you've got time, you've got to explore the problem with time, which is, there's never enough of it. And that's a problem I've always dealt with, and you probably have too. We're stuck in it, folks. Stuck in the center and always turning clockwise. The ride's over before we know it, so turn away from the clock as often as you can, and look around at this weird-ass party we crashed by popping into existence. Not the news, but your life, what's going on around you, and those people and plants and animals that seem to be hovering around outside while you're self-quarantined inside the house that is your head, sifting through the stuff that's already happened and wondering about what's going to happen. If living in the present is boring, uh, at least it'll make life seem longer.
3: Sometimes I'm a Chair by Matthew Sanborn Smith Sometimes I'm a chair. It's a secret identity, in a way. I become a chair and people sit on me. I'm not unexpected. I'm never questioned. People are thankful for me. It's probably the only time they are. I hold their weight. It never occurs to me to complain. I just do it. And when they leave, I turn back and make my escape. When I am me, they forget there was ever a chair. When I am a chair, they forget there was ever a me. Even my mother. My mother is not a big person. Not as big as my father or grandmother, but she feels heavier than they do. She falls into me harder. I feel people like no one else feels them. I'm intimate with their bottoms and the backs of their thighs. A little less so with their backs and the feet that squirm around my lower front legs and stretchers. You might think it's awful to just hold a person. It's not. I'm there for them and I don't give out. I'm solid and I'm not in pain, no matter how heavy the person, even if they're holding my niece in their lap. Not like when I'm me. When I'm me, the pain is always there in my joints. I'm only 14 and my grandmother runs circles around me. The pain doesn't leave even when I'm lying down, except when I'm sleeping or a chair. Everyone gets picked on in school. Even the bullies. But I don't. I wish I did. I wish I could fit in by being shut out like everyone else. All I feel from them is pity. Pity as I struggle down the halls, refusing the wheelchair for another year. Pity as I avoid the elevator and take the stairs, clinging to both the railing and the brick wall it's bolted to like I'm an injured lizard trying to climb. I see the sorrow in the eyes of the band kids and my algebra teacher and the cop and the secretary. There are 1,200 little human islands in my school. Each of them thinks they're all alone. They don't see they're part of the chain. I don't know exactly what I am. Maybe the corpse that floats in the waterways between them? If I'm the last one out of class, sometimes I'll become a chair and forget everything for a while. I won't be marked absent because they've all forgotten about me. The lecture will be a muffled vibration in the distance and the only things in the world will be the big warm body on top of me and the unforgiving tile below. Even the ticking of the clock will disappear. Time will pass and I'll hardly feel it. All I'll really know is pressure and I'll be up for that. I wonder what will happen when I'm not up for it, when the weight finally overcomes my rigidity and I snap. Will I be a bloody mess when I turn back? Will I be too afraid to turn back and just take my chances with the landfill? Sometimes when I'm home and my mother's done rubbing my joints with some new balm she's found at the West Indian market or the Asian market or the Colombian liquor store, she asks me if I feel any better. I always tell her yes, but I've told her yes so many times her eyes get wet anyway when she smiles back at me. And then I lie in bed after she's gone and think about becoming a chair and staying a chair. Never being an emotional burden again, always being a physical support. Someday I think I'll do it. Right now, I'm still getting up in the morning and struggling down the hall.
2: Hey, drabblers. Although I struggle to get many of my stories onto the page, occasionally a nonsense phrase pops into my head, and the story comes tumbling out. It doesn't hurt that this one was only a few hundred words. When I had the title, I tried to imagine the life of someone who might prefer being a chair sometimes. I mean, besides a person who just loves butts indiscriminately. Once pain came into the picture, I remembered some of the kids in my high school whom I only saw in the halls, the kids who struggled physically in addition to struggling socially. Their whole lives seemed like a physical fight compared to mine. And yet, what could you do? You get up and you do it. But if you could catch a rest once in a while on a body that was the opposite of your human one in many ways, share your relief instead of your fight, damn, that would feel sweet.
0: And that was our doubleheader. Great stories. It's more than easy during these crazy times to forget about or take for granted all the things supporting us and holding us up, isn't it? And what a powerful thing it is to be a chair for someone in these times too, instead of always focusing on taking a stand. Great stuff. Look out for more Sanborn Smith coming later this month on Travelcast B-Sides, our premium subscriber feed, where we bring you more content each month, available only to those patrons of ours that really do the good Lord Cthulhu's work by supporting the Travelcast and signing up for an automated $10 a month subscription. We've got over 80 episodes in there, and more come out each month, not just stories, reviews, songs, interviews, etc. If you're interested, head on over to Drabblecast.org and check out on the right there where it says support the show. Besides, click the link. You can use PayPal or credit card, and you get a little automated email afterwards with instructions on how to get access and hook up. We greatly appreciate it. You can also give any amount if you enjoyed this week's show and just want to help support us and keep the show going strong. We pay our authors professional rates, our voice actors, our artists. Oh, and speaking of which, special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Carly Heath. Carly's an author and illustrator currently living in the West Coast. Her debut novel, The Reckless Kind, comes out next year from Soho Teen. Find her on Twitter, at Carly Heath. Oh, and of course, our 100-character story winner this week, by Travelcast Forum member, Hazel. Here goes. Who knew that what we played at as children was training? Training for when, on that terrible day... The floor became lava. so great you can say a lot with only 100 characters give it a shot go to our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org and look for the twit section you can post one in there you might be next week's winner and if you are we run it here on the show and post it out on our social media on twitter at drabblecast you can also find us on facebook instagram youtube all that kind of stuff The Travelcast is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Tell a friend, write us a review on iTunes or elsewhere, blog about us, spread the weird. Our program this week comes to you by way of Team Drabble, Bo Kyer, Adam Pratt, Abby Hilton, a pencil eraser that smells like earwax, Tom Baker, Melissa Henderson, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that I'll hold you up until the end of all things.